0: All right, you have your Bibles. I'd like for you to open up with me to the book of Acts chapter 6. And what I want to talk to you about today, the topic is really the primacy or primacy of preaching. But I gave you this unusual title, which I will explain. I'd rather preach than be president. I'll explain that in just a minute. So we're in Acts chapter 6. The church is brand new. It just got started. Never look at your Bible in a naive way to think that the early Christians were perfect and we got problems today. They had problems right from the beginning. They had problems when Jesus was with them because of human nature. So the early church is experiencing problems primarily in the area of the distribution of food and goods to widows. And there's a dissension. So let's read about it. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, with what we would call church growth, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration of the food and goods. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, "It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables." Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We'll stop there at verse 4. My title, once again, is I'd rather preach than be president. And that's what I want to explain to you as to why. Here in the text, you see, as I just explained from the very beginning, there's problems in the church. So don't, again, don't be naive enough to think problems only arose in the last few years. Everything before that was perfect. The preachers were perfect. The congregations, they never were. And so preaching serves many, many purposes. And one of them is to straighten out problems, to explain the order that God has, and so on. But why I chose the title, I'd Rather Preach Than Be President, since it's the 4th of July weekend here, and every year, well, at least once a year, but actually it's more than that, I have a habit, as you know, I don't watch any primetime television at all, so I don't even know some of who these actors and actresses are, but I watch really old films, some that I grew up with, some that were made before my time. And one of my favorite is Yankee Doodle Dandy with James Cagney, who in the movie he plays the uh, real-life character of George M. Cohan, Irish songwriter and dancer and singer and so many, many things. Cohan went into retirement in the mid-30s, maybe the early 30s, and a man by the name of George Kaufman wrote a book, and this was the title of it, I'd Rather Be Right Than Be President. It just occurred to me that that would be a good title for a message. I'd rather preach than be president, but if you want some background on the book, it was A satire on the presidency. The president at that time was FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and his New Deal and all of this. It's about a young couple who want to get married, but then they find out that Roosevelt can't balance the budget, and so Phil Smith, the boyfriend of the engaged couple, gives her the bad news. He can't get married. He didn't get the raise, and you know, when I'm reading the play, or I was reading just a little bit about it, I said, you know, nothing's changed read it in the scriptures. I mean, man is man, Satan is Satan, God is God. Not much has changed. Just a little here, a little there. Not much has changed. Anyway, the play itself, I'd rather be right than be president, written by George Kaufman. The character was played, character role, or lead role was played by George M. Cohan. And Cohan himself, a lifelong Democrat, was very critical of many of FDR's policies. And again, I said to myself, not much has changed. Not much has changed. So I thought to myself, and I actually believe this, this is the truth. If someone said to me by some miraculous work of God that I could be the president of the United States or I could live the rest of my life preaching the gospel, I would still pick preach the gospel. I'll tell you why. Because the gospel is going to outlast every president. It's going to outlast this country. It's going to outlast all the countries of the world. It's going to outlast the people of the world. And though it may not seem to be, uh, even as Jesus paints it in the gospel account, though it seems to be so little in its influence, it's not, not at all. So for me, I'd rather preach. I could even say I'd rather preach than be a politician. I'd much rather preach than be a politician. I could never be a politician. I just don't have it in me. I have it in me to compromise on certain things I cannot compromise on morality and truth and what's right and wrong and good and evil. I just I wouldn't ever do that. So I think I'm unelectable, which is fine with me. So what I want to present to you today is the concept that the Bible itself presents that the highest ministry in any given church is the preaching of the word of God, what I'm doing today. That there's no ministry in this church or any other church that's above that. Everything flows out of that, the preaching of the word of God. A man, a preacher by the name of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a very well-known preacher in England, originally a medical doctor, and then decided to spend his life in ministry, had a profound influence on many people in his sermons. He did a series of lectures, and then it was put into a book made for people like me. It's called Preaching and Preachers. I'd like to read to you an excerpt from his book. When he wrote this, in 1969, he wrote, The work of preaching is the highest and the greatest and the most glorious calling to which anyone can ever be called. If you want something in addition to that, he means that statement, I would say without any hesitation, the most urgent need, this is 1969, the most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. That's a long time ago, well fairly long, when he said that the most urgent need in the church today is true preaching. It is obviously the greatest need of the world, also. That was his opinion. That is mine. He'll go on to say, and I'll read that in just a second, he asserts that that's what this book is saying, and we'll read it. But he said this as well In our first lecture, I laid down a proposition that preaching is the primary task of the church, and therefore of the minister of the church, that everything else is subsidiary to this and can be represented as the outworking or carrying out of this in daily practice, preaching. What I am doing is to justify this proposition, and I am doing so particularly in view, listen, in view of the tendency today to deprecate preaching at the expense of various other forms of activity, Christian activity. Having laid down the proposition, I have tried to substantiate it by evidence from the New Testament and also from the history of the church. I now want to go a step further and to suggest that this evidence from the New Testament itself supported and exemplified by the history of the church leads us to the conclusion that the ultimate justification for asserting the primacy or primacy of preaching is theological, spiritual teaching or truth. In other words, I argue that the whole message of the Bible asserts this and drives us to this conclusion now you have to understand that especially in the 20th century the church began to shift look at the pulpit in most protestant churches it's in the center of the sanctuary now sometimes you'll see it off to the side and as i'll read in just a moment sometimes you see it elevated where the preacher is looking down at you there's a reason for that and i'll read it in just a minute but the reason that the pulpit is central is because it's to present the idea that preaching is the most important ministry of the church. There is nothing more important, but realize that the church went through various movements, especially in the 20th century, when it became what is now known as the social gospel, not meaning people getting together and talking. It meant let's go out and do things and feed the poor, which is part of the gospel, no doubt. Feeding and clothing people and so forth. But in the meantime, they were trading off. They were basically saying, and some said openly, in many different ways, there's no necessity for this dissertation every week, we don't need that. And it's part of how we saw the church go off course and landed us in the mess that we're in right now. I won't bother you with all the different aberrations and perversions that are out there because the church lost its vision. I'm not saying that people still aren't doing good things. I mean, giving food to hungry people is a good thing. It's just not the highest thing. And we see that in the life of Jesus. Now, he did both. But if you look at the life of Jesus and you look at the life of the apostles, go back and look at the life of the prophets, and you see they're preachers. They're preaching the word. Turn with me to the book of Ezra for an example of the primacy of preaching. Excuse me, Nehemiah. We're going to read about Ezra, but it's in Nehemiah. For those of you who are newer in the Lord, you can get for your Bible, what we call cheaters. So you're looking up books that you've never heard of, and you just put them on the side. They sell them, and you probably could buy it online, and you just pull the tab and there you are. Book of Nehemiah, Old Testament, chapter 8, verse 8. So the temple is being rebuilt after its destruction, and the city is being rebuilt after its destruction as Babylon came in and took Judah and the Jewish people captive, and now it's been restored. And in verse 4, it says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. A pulpit of wood. And beside him stood Mahathiah, and Shema, and Ananiah, and Urijah and Hilkiah. So this is, a, this is a great number of people standing around the preacher. Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand. And on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael, and Malkiel, and Hashem, and Hashmadanah, Zechariah, and Meshubim. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. The pulpit was up high, where everybody could see him. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shepethiah, Hodijah, Isaiah, Kelita. By the way, every time I read these Hebrew names, I'm glad my name is Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Kelita, Azariah, Jezabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. And listen, this is very, very important. And they caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly and gave the sense, meaning the meaning of the text, and caused them to understand the reading. So here we have an Old Testament example of the primacy of preaching. The temple has been rebuilt after its destruction 70 years earlier. The walls have been now rebuilt. People have been set free from Babylonian captivity. And what do you find is one of the very first deeds done is preaching, opened up the book of the law and preach to the people, and not just simply saying things, but cause the people to understand the meaning of the text. What does this mean? This is what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones meant by, this is the need for the hour. And I will assert, though it is the need for the hour, and though it is the need for the world, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, in my observation, it doesn't seem that that's really what people want. That's my observation. I could be wrong. Because we're not producing preachers. We're not producing, and I'll get to this in a little while. We're not producing congregations that are tolerant of biblical teaching. Motivational speeches and all of these things that I've gone through many times are appealing. And the shorter the better. It's as though man has some type of religious obligation to go to a church meeting. But show up and get out. That is not what Ezra did. Ezra said, this is the text and this is what it means with the implication, though it's not stated here, that you are to do what it says. Well, there was a period there where the Jews were just out of captivity for 70 years, began to intermingle with non-Jewish women, marry them, all that. And Ezra went around, Now, men in those days had beards, real men today still have beards, and he was yanking the hair out of their beards, that hurts, believe me. That's how serious they were about the Word of God. During periods of real revival, real revival, preaching should never be, by you, approached in a lighthearted manner. It's certainly not approached by me in a lighthearted manner. I look around in a congregation and I'm always wondering why so and so is not here, why so and so is not here, why so and so is not here. That's my heart as a pastor. If I didn't care, I wouldn't even notice that they're not here. Because I always think to myself, eternity is at stake. And we have to put that first. And again, it is my observation, and I hope to be wrong, but my observation is that many people are not really prepared for biblical preaching and teaching. Again, they're looking for something. It's like what we call comfort foods. Comfort foods feel good, taste good, and give you some kind of psychological comfort to boot. But then down the road, you may find out you're diabetic and got heart disease. So, in the end, it's not doing you any good, though it made you comfortable psychologically. A lot of what is passing for preaching today is making people feel comfortable psychologically, but it's not helping them in the end. So, back in the book of Acts, turn back with me. Let's go to chapter 2. And we saw, by the way, in Acts chapter 6, that the resolution, when people came to the apostles and they were saying, listen, our widows are being neglected. What are you going to do about it? There may have been an expectation. That's why it's stated this way in Acts chapter 6. An expectation that let's leave our study. Let's go straighten this out. Now I say this in deep respect for you. But don't expect that of me. I'm called to study. I'm called to read. Obviously I'm called to pray. I'm called to do a lot of things. But this is primary. It always has been in my ministry. And it always will be. So we have to understand that the apostles' solution was. They said find us seven men that have wisdom and the Holy Spirit will appoint them over this business. But we read it here in verse 4 of uh, chapter 6. And then verse 3 is, well, it's not right, meet. It's not right for us to leave the word of God in prayer and go serve tables. Now, if you said that in some churches today to the deacon board or other boards that are around, they would say, well, I thought pastors were supposed to have a servant's heart. Well, it depends on how you define servant. I serve you every single week by preaching a message. And I do a whole lot more than that. I mean, during the week, but uh, I have to be prepared. I rarely ever go anywhere on a Saturday night. And most times, even on a Saturday, that's subject to... But, you know, even if I go away to a birthday party or something on a Saturday afternoon, I still have the obligation to preach and study into the night to be prepared to come here. I don't wing it. And I'm certainly not lazy. And I also understand the primacy or primacy of preaching so the apostle says it's not right by the lord's instructions that we should leave studying the scriptures and praying because that's the most important thing and then they found people to do those jobs who are actually called to do those jobs acts chapter 2 at verse 40 it says of the preaching of the apostles and with many other words did this is speaking of peter Did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward, which means perverse. Save yourselves from this perverse generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. This all came from preaching, preaching the word. In Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew ten seven again, Jesus giving instructions to the apostles, as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what is a preacher? As you know, some of you know, at uh, one point in my life, I worked for the postal service as a letter carrier for a couple of few years. And leather carriers are simply people who deliver the mail. They don't write the mail. They deliver it. Typically, you know, people may, in a cordial way, if you hand them the mail, say, oh, nothing but bills and all that. But it should be understood that I did not bill you. I didn't send the electric bill, the gas bill, whatever else. If, God forbid, there's bad news in one of your pieces of mail, the mailman didn't write it. And so you get the idea, I didn't write this book. I just happen to be one who believes it. And it's assumed that you're here week after week because you believe it as well. But I didn't write it. I didn't invent hell. And I didn't create heaven. I didn't do anything. Except heed the call of Jesus, not only to follow him, but to be a preacher of the gospel. And I've been faithful to that for 46 years. That's it. So what is a preacher? A preacher is a herald. Repent. Turn. And believe the gospel. I am called, any true preacher is called, to repeat, in one manner of speaking, just to repeat what the book says. Not to amend it, not to alter it, and not to try to figure out a more clever way of talking to people, because after all, and this is what we hear from certain people who pose as preachers, after all, people have this and they got problems, whatever, so we don't want to talk about these subjects. The mailman doesn't have that privilege to go through your mail and say, I don't think that they want to read that. No, I don't think they need that bill. I mean, that's a federal crime. A doctor doesn't have the right to tell you something you want to hear. It's an obligation to tell the truth. A preacher is a herald. He's not even necessarily a moralist, and he's not a philosopher. The Apostle Paul was not a philosopher. He wasn't a moralist. He was a preacher. And a herald echoed the message of Jesus and the prophets And then what situations the holy spirit gave them wisdom when they needed it that's what preachers do and what we are doing here today what i'm doing with you here today is the most important function of the church of jesus christ preaching the word and that's really what i just want you to learn today but i'm also going to show you your part in preaching you see you're not just a passive audience and i'm here on display either to exhibit my knowledge of the Bible, or intellectual abilities, or my charm, or whatever. You're part of the process, but we'll get to that. I've shared this with you before. At least from my point of view, we certainly have too much of this, if you listen to preachers, what someone has termed long horn sermons. A point here, and a point here, and a lot of bull in between. That's not the job of the preacher, just to fabricate things so it sounds good and excites the emotions. Though good preaching will occasionally excite the emotions, motivate people, that's all part of it. But it's not the primary part of it. The primary part is what we read in Ezra, is to understand the sense of the text. That this is what the text means. Now what are you going to do? What will you do with what you have heard? We don't need long horn sermons. A point here, a point there, and a lot of bull in between. Through the years, mainly in years gone by, I would hear or have someone come to me the next day after a Sunday message and say, Oh, Pastor, that was a great message yesterday. And every time, every time I'd say the same thing. What did I preach on? Oh, it was great. So what did I preach on? Uh, It was something about, um, and you go along this line. What was being communicated to me is that what they were enamored with was my emotion in the pulpit, my personality. On my nightstand, I have a pocket dictionary and I would read it every night because I like words. I just like reading words and meanings of words. And I would incorporate that in my earlier years in sermons and every so often someone would come to me and say, Pastor, those words you use, boy, I tell you, you're so smart and all this. And what I was hearing was, Pastor, when you speak, I don't have a clue what you're saying. So I started dropping some of the bigger words and just try to make it as simple as possible whenever I speak to you. and keep the big words for my own private entertainment. Maybe once in a while, even when I write, occasionally when I write and when I have written, I take out the big words because people don't understand it. If I'm writing to a bunch of intellectuals, that's fine, but that's not usually the audience. I'm saying to you that a preacher is a herald, heralding the message of Jesus Christ, of the apostles and prophets. A message, you should know, is one that we must heed. Why? Because Jesus is not a way, he is the way. That's what the preacher is heralding. You must have Jesus. We sang it a little earlier. and I made the distinction between the difference of wanting something and needing something. There's things that I want that I don't need, and sometimes there's things that I need that I didn't even ask for, or didn't want. Not realizing how much I needed them. And we need the preaching of the gospel. We need not only much less, but I'll go down to as far as zero of preachers aiming at a congregation or television audience, radio audience, such as we have both. Trying to, again, just excite the emotions or to motivate people. Again, sermons should be motivating, but it's expounding the sense of the text Of saying what it says, of heralding. And this is what a preacher is. A preacher is someone who is heralding what the book says. Obviously, as we read in Acts 6, preachers must be students of Scripture. I've told you this before, but I want to remind you that many preachers, when you see PhD behind their name, not THD, that's a doctor of theology, a PhD, many of these people in pulpits have their doctorate in psychology. Now for me, if I wanted to hear a psychologist, I would go hear a psychologist. But when I want to hear someone preaching the gospel, I want a preacher, not a psychologist. And I believe that's what you should want too. What does the book say? That's what preachers do. And enough with the long horn sermons, a point here, a point there, a lot of bull in between. Some years ago, at the gym, I'm on a treadmill, and because of the time that I arrived and this other woman would arrive, we were usually there at the same time, on the same two treadmills, and she was next to me. I got to know her, you know, fairly young woman at the time, well, she was a young woman at the time, she's still a fairly young woman, and she knows a pastor, and we would talk a little bit of this or that, and one day she asked me my opinion of a preacher, who just happens to be, at the moment, the most watched and listened to preacher in America. She asked me my opinion. I gave her my opinion. At the end of that, she said to me, she said, you know, I'm glad that you said that. My opinion wasn't favorable. She said, I'm glad that you said that. She said, because my boyfriend watches him every Sunday and he takes notes. Now, listen to this. This is a woman who has no knowledge of the Bible at all, none, has no knowledge of the Bible at all. But she had enough sagacity. She had enough intelligence to say to her boyfriend, I don't know why you're taking notes. He's not saying anything. Now, here's someone without a Bible, without the knowledge of Christ as we know him. She was intuitive enough to know that there was a point here and a point there and just a lot of bull in between. The personality, the persona, the presentation. Remember that preachers are often intelligent people and many of them have a good personality. I mean, a clever personality. They could have been great actors had they not gone into well, stuck behind a pulpit anyway. I won't call it ministry. They would have been great actors. They're intelligent. They know how to stir up people. That's not what a preacher is. A preacher is one who's saying, this is what the book says, and you better give heed to it. You better do what it says. That's the preacher. And so in Revelation chapter 14, one of the reasons, in addition to the primacy of preaching, that I'd rather be preacher than president is in Revelation fourteen six, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel. To preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. And we see this. We believe this as yet future. Yet notice the description of the gospel. It's not just the gospel. It's not just a philosophy. It's not a philosophy. It's the everlasting gospel. The politics of men will one day come to an end. The gospel will never come to an end. Not for you or for me. Because Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And once again, we see the parable of the mustard seed in a lot of churches, Bible teaching churches. They're not usually the ones that are on television. They're not usually the most popular people. I read of pastors wrote 30, 40 books. And I want you to know a truth. Most of the pastors whose names you read on books, they did not write the book. That includes some very famous ones. I'll just leave their names off. Some of them are dead. They explained and they had ghostwriters, but the ghostwriter never appears. Just the name of the preacher. Me, I wouldn't want that. If I was going to write a book, I'm going to write the book. I've got to figure out how to jam it into my day or week or month or year. But I'm not going to have somebody else write my book and put my name on it. Anyway, we see that the gospel is everlasting. We hear Jesus say, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. That's why I'd rather preach than be president. Some of you may have seen the TV show 60 Minutes. It's been on for some time. I personally don't watch it, but I don't watch much of the media. But Don Hewitt, who was the founder of 60 Minutes, had the philosophy that our show must tell a story. And he gave an example of Noah and the flood. He said, it's a story. It's about evil. And here's the story of one man and his family and so on. And they gave an example about acid rain, which, you know, back in the 60s was a big deal with Vietnam and Agent Orange and so on. And someone says, you know, we need to do a story on acid rain. He says acid rain is not a story, it's a topic. He said, find me someone who's dealing with the fallout of acid rain and so on. Then we have a story to tell. The Bible is filled with stories, but stories that have a didactic meaning there's something to learn from the story of noah and abraham david and all these people obviously jesus the apostles there's something to learn and it's didactic meaning it's supposed to teach you a lesson on how to live well in this case live in the lord that's why we need preaching i just i never felt comfortable i mean, from time to time now i'm mentioning people's names here or there but i just never feel comfortable mentioning people by name but there's a guy out there he's not a Christian but he's one of the leading entrepreneurs and you know, how to succeed in business. And I read one of his books just out of curiosity. Whenever I've seen him with his Rolex watch, his super flat abs, and his Hummer, and visiting all the reels, he's a billionaire, all the buildings that he owns and just on and on and on, I say to myself, what's with this character? For me, I have no interest in hearing anything about his watch, his Hummer, his buildings, his billions of dollars. Why? Because I know the gospel. I know that Jesus said, thou fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. I know that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. How do I know these things? From the preaching of the word of God. It tells us what's important, what's not important. It tells us this is the way, walk ye in it. This is the way. You've had to take directions, I'm sure. How do I get to so-and-so? And someone will say, this is the way. Go down here, make a left, and so on. This is the way. This is what the book says. This is the way. Walk in it. Just don't talk about it. And don't just intellectualize or fantasize that one day you're going to actually do it. Do it. That's what Mary said about Jesus at the wedding at Cana. Whatever he says to do, do it. We have far too many people, some them have even memorized the scriptures, can recite them verbatim, who don't do what's in there. And we must do it. In order to obtain the price. In other words, the grace of God that saves us, creates in us an act of faith that causes us to do the things that God says for us to do. So when it comes down to preaching, and this is my third point, preaching and the preacher, me, it is assumed that what I'm preaching to you, I live. That's an assumption that everybody makes when you go into any church. Well, let me say to you that that's not always the case. Again we have clever men out there who can coin a phrase, turn a word. The great personalities, they know what excites people, they know what brings them up, what puts them down, all that. And that's not what we need. We need the preaching of the gospel. But it's not only as soon, but in this case here being your pastor for so many years, it must be understood that I am a man of the book, and I understand the responsibilities laid on my shoulders, which I have always taken seriously. And I still do. Theodore Epp, who was the founder of Back to the Bible radio ministry, he came to a point one day when he realized something was wrong when he stopped receiving critical mail. Sort of like the story I told you about Wesley when nobody was throwing rocks at him anymore and he began to think he was backslidden from the Lord. Theodore Epp believed that he must have been something wrong because he wasn't getting any critical mail. And he made this statement, which is true. He said, I'm afraid that when I'm pleasing everybody, I'm not pleasing the Lord. And pleasing the Lord is what counts. And I'm sharing with you as an experienced preacher that there are far too many people and sometimes it's a razor's edge between what they leave off and what they include just so that people keep coming back. In some cases they actually believe this is pleasing to God. But the Bible is very specific that the only thing that pleases God is repeating verbatim what He has said. I am not here to please myself. If so, I would use the clever brain that God gave me, and I would handle myself differently. I'm here to please the Lord. And that's what preachers' aim should be, to please the Lord. It doesn't mean that every time you preach, you're going to upset everybody. But it does mean that if you're preaching broadly, as I do, here in the sanctuary, overseas, and in America on our live television, over the radio, where thousands and thousands of people listen, it doesn't please everybody. I'm not responsible for that. I'm a herald. I'm only the mailman. I'm just saying, this is your mail. But it was sent by God. God has sent this message to you. I'm just the messenger. Now, you could ask the people don't shoot the messenger, but they're going to. They did it right here, all these messengers here, all these mailmen. They all got cut up, shot, all types of things. Because people mistake the messenger for the message. But once again, it should be both assumed and accepted that the preacher and the message are living at one. Perfectly, no, but living at one. This is what the Bible says. This is what we do. This is what we herald. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, the Apostle Paul, he wrote these words, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I read the story of a man who was living in some... A preacher was living in some really deep sin, deep, deep sin that nobody knew about until it was exposed one day. And what was so fascinating, to the people at least, is to find how many people had actually come to Christ. while he was doing bad things, and that's just to show you how God will always honor his word. So the Apostle Paul says, I live in such a way so that I'm not cast away after I've told you what the Lord has said. And now we all should live that same way. I think that you've all seen, relative to preachers and preaching, I think you've all seen the trick done with knives. Now some of it is just purely phony, and you know how that works. So you get usually a girl pinned to the dartboard, and usually a man with the knives, boom, one over the head, two around the neck, two under the arms, all over the place, and never, never hit the person. Some of it's phony, some of it's not. Some of it is people who are really expert, and it's great to see. And the purpose is not to hit the person, but in preaching, it's just the opposite. It's that the Word of God, boom, strikes right to your heart. Two friends of mine who are now gone to be with the Lord, who i admired and admired him to this day, both gone now. And I remember one, his name was Joe. I remember him preaching a message, and the more he preached, it felt like someone had their hand on my chest. Now I'm already a preacher. I felt like someone had their hand on my chest and was was pushing me up against the wall. I felt like a pressure, not an internal pain, like someone was pushing me. Such is the power of the word. The word of God is supposed to strike you. It's supposed to strike you. And, might I add, it should keep you awake. I had a man one time, I was about to speak at a group, which is a bad idea when you're invited to a breakfast to speak, because they give you breakfast first, then you speak. You know, you get all that junk in your stomach. This guy had the nerve. We got in a circle of chairs. It was a small group. And I stood in the middle to give my testimony. And he just put his feet out like this. And put his head back. You have no idea. No idea how tempted I was to really kick him. And it was so rude. The preaching of the word of God is not designed to be a little bit above your head. A little bit above your ears. It never hit me. It's designed to strike you right in the heart. And produce a conviction. Or like I was just explaining. To feel a pressure. That you must change. I was at a breakfast many years ago, back in the late 80s, early 90s, for the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and the main speaker one year, it was Ronald Reagan, and that was pretty interesting to watch him come in with the Secret Service, Uzis under their jacket. But this time it was Billy Graham, and you needed tickets to get into the breakfast, and we didn't have him, but my other friend, Harry, had two tickets, and he gave them to me and to his son. He says, you guys go. I'm good. I'm okay. Course he had the bible memorized literally memorized not figuratively speaking and so we went i would never forget that day as long as i live i was a preacher 10 years already in the lord maybe a little bit more 10 years as a preacher and billy graham got up and this room was filled with broadcasters producers radio personalities in the christian realm some of the biggest names that some of you have heard of some again have passed on some of the biggest in the world they were all there billy graham was talking about the gospel and he kept saying this one thing and another thing Why don't we hear about hell any longer? I mean, you could hear a pin drop. And then there's another thing he says. Why don't we talk about sin? And then he kept going along these lines. It frightened me. They were giving away Bibles that day after this message. And it was a version that I don't use and I still don't use, but I took one anyway. It was a brand new Bible and I wrote in the cover. I may still have it. Today I rededicated my life to the Lord. And I'm already 10, 12 years as a preacher. Meaning, this process doesn't stop and effective preaching doesn't reach over your head, around your ears, and it hits you straight in the heart. So that you're right in the cover of your Bible today, July the 2nd, the year 2023. I have rededicated my life to the Lord. We must understand that you can lose your first love. It's written in the book of the Revelation. Jesus said to the Ephesians, well they lost their first love, but he said to the lay of the scenes, remember this, he says you're not hot, you're not cold. He says, therefore I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Years ago, I used to drink a lot of seltzer water because I just liked the way it tasted in lieu of water itself, seltzer water. My wife one day bought quinine instead of seltzer. So I came home thirsty and started to poof out of my mouth. Can you imagine the Jesus of the Bible? Not the popular Jesus and the all-American Jesus and the Jesus that draws crowds because people don't want to hear what I'm about to say. Jesus said, if you're not hot and you're not cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. And I didn't say it. I'm just a herald that's repeating what Jesus said. Are you hot or you're cold? Have you lost your first love? That's the preaching of the gospel, the herald and to repeat what the Bible says. And it should strike you right in the heart. And we don't play dodgeball here. Boy, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that message. Well, he's not, and you are. How does the message of the gospel strike you? God's knife, so to speak, his sword, goes straight to the heart and is constantly telling us, change, and you say, but I've already changed a lot, and change as I lead you more and more and more. Preachers, by design, are designed to strike the heart And that doesn't always please anybody. If your doctor tells you that you need a surgery and it turns out that you actually need the surgery, oh, that's not pleasant. In my office, someone gave me many years ago, her father was a very notable surgeon in Utica. Can't think of his name at the moment, but he was a notable surgeon. And she put together this very nice display for me. And it's the picture that you've probably seen of Jesus going over the cliff and bringing up a sheep. And then it has a verse in there, and it was, it's really ornate, it's really nice. But at the bottom is a scalpel. It's inside the glass, scalpel. She went through a little of her father's history and made an analogy to a preacher. We take a scalpel and we cut. Now I, as you know some of you know my story and my past, I have been cut before. I've been cut in a fight where I needed 150 stitches. It's a lot of stitches in a fight, because I was cut. The intent of that individual was to kill me. The intent of surges is to save my life. So you say, I don't want to hear all this kind of stuff. What can I tell you? This scalpel, the book, is designed to open you up, get to the heart, literally, and change what needs to be changed because Jesus is the way. But if you see someone coming like this, run. Run. This guy that cut me came up from behind me. I didn't have a chance, really. I kept fighting anyway, but I suffered quite extensive injuries. Jesus is the great physician who comes into your life and he cuts. You can read later in the book of Acts chapter 8, where the preaching of Peter converts 3,000 people. Preaching. There were signs following the word which promises given to us. But I want to just share with you as I come to this last point today of what part you play in preaching. This is not a one-way street, as some would suppose. Now you can read in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, which explains how a man from Ethiopia, in eunuch of the queen, is reading in the book of Isaiah in his chariot, which I just happened to open it up right to Isaiah 53, right there. That's what he was reading, but he didn't understand it. And the Spirit of the Lord says to Philip, <clears throat> "Go over and join yourself to the chariot." So Philip did. And he says to the Ethiopian eunuch, Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, How can I unless someone explains it to me? So Philip began to expound to him the meaning of Isaiah chapter 53. And then he knew, see Ezra, understanding the sense of the text. Philip expounded to him what the Ethiopian was reading. And then he learned that he needed to be saved and baptized. And the first thing that the Ethiopian eunuch asks, he says, Well, what prevents me from being baptized? not a Jew. And Philip said to him, nothing if you believe with your whole heart the Lord Jesus Christ and so on. And they brought him down to the river and baptized him. I shouldn't leave off the part that he was raptured right after that and wound up in a city called Azotus after that, but that's not particularly germane to the topic with a sign follow. He didn't know what he was reading and the preacher explained to him and gave him the sense of the text And it brought about, the knife went into his heart, and he says, Why can't I be baptized? Why can't I be a follower of Jesus Christ? And Philip said, You can. Never be ashamed of Jesus Christ and stand for Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Don't hang your head. You have no idea the things that I hear. And I hear them on a regular basis. Men describe to me their sex lives, they're not saved. I called, I told one guy, I said, You know, you're sick. He laughed. I said, I'm not kidding. I said, You're really sick. How would you like someone to talk about your wife that way? Well, I'll kill them. So you're a hypocrite to boot. You're a hypocrite to boot. And I'm, believe me, I am every bit a man. Why should I be ashamed of my masculinity? And I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of executing my duty. I am not ashamed of being a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And neither should you. But you must dedicate yourself to the text. Because if you don't, you won't have a clue what I'm talking about. And I don't, with, well, I preach for an hour. That's like dinosaurs preach for an hour. I don't go to these seminars any longer that you know, I used to go to where they go through the statistics and psychologists say and neurologists say people can only endure 20 minutes. I don't care about what they can endure. You want to be a Navy SEAL and say, I just want to dedicate a little bit of time? It don't work that way. Same for many things in life, classical piano, whatever. You've got to dedicate your life to it. Anyway, I preach for an hour. And there's not much time to explain everything. But if you're at home reading the Bible and praying, and like the Ethiopian eunuch saying, oh God, you know what does this mean? And Then when you come, and this happens so frequently, it's a beautiful thing. So many times people will come to me and say, you know, I'm just going to call you this week or email you this week and ask you this. You know, I got two or three in one service. And you answered every question I had in the message. How did I know that? I didn't. I rely on the Holy Spirit. I rely on preaching the book. And God spreads his word to all the people. That's how it works, my friends. So you're part of the process. You don't marry yourself. I read about a man who did. (laughs) Legally married himself. It's true. But in the ordinary sense, when you marry, you marry another person. Preaching is definitely a marriage between the congregation, the pastor serves, and the pastor. And it's not just one that's merely social. Though We have that. It's a marriage of the soul, spirit and soul where you're studying. I get questions all the time and I never find them troublesome. I had one just late last night. I answered before I went to bed because that's what I do. But the other person on the other end is asking the question because they're reading and reading and reading. And you and I together make the preaching of the gospel. The rest is for the people who don't know Christ. And I look around and I see some of you who recently came to the Lord and I see the great changes He's making in your life. First, it's on the inside, then it starts to communicate to the outside. And believe me, that is so encouraging. And what is so discouraging is to preach to the same people again and again and again, over and over again, and there doesn't seem to be any palpable, observable change. That's not right, that's not normal. The preaching of the word, once again, is like a knife goes right into the heart. Yeah. Now we must decide, you must decide what you do with it. William Penn said this, the world does not need sermons. It needs a message. You can go to seminary and learn how to preach sermons, but you will have to go to God to get messages. Yeah. And that's what I do. I find it relatively easy to study intellectually. You look up words, you put things together, copy and paste commentaries. But it's difficult, you have to wrestle with God like Jacob to get a message. And the message today is the primacy or primacy of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Getting the word out to people who don't know, and reiterating to those that do, and talking to professing Christians who go to a church meeting who don't hear the preaching of the gospel. But some other longhorn sermon, two points and a lot of bull in between. We need a message from God. That's what I did as a letter carrier. I brought messages. Some were nice, some were not nice, but I didn't write them. And that's what preachers do. Your part now is to go home and read the Bible. Read the scriptures cover to cover. My part is to explain them as best I can. Let me finish with this. I'll take you to prayer. Samuel Clement, Mark Twain. He was a very bright man. He was invited to hear a preacher, a local preacher. So he went. And after the message, he told the preacher, he said, you know, I have a book just like the He was reading. The preacher was reading the Bible. I have a book just like that book at home. The preacher said, no, you don't. He said, oh, yeah, I do. I'll let you have it. So he took the book and he wrapped it up, sent it to the preacher. The preacher opened it. It was a dictionary. And on top of it, the words of Mark Twain was this. Words, just words. The dictionary is just words. The Bible is not. Now, whether he was right or wrong in his opinion of the preacher, I can't say. But I can say that people who are initiated in the Lord know the difference between someone who's just giving you words, longhorn sermons, or you're receiving a message, you're receiving that push against the chest, you feel that knife going in you, and you say, as they said in the book of Acts, men and brethren, how shall we do, or what shall we do? That's the question. I hope that when I come to you, I'm not just giving you words. I know I study and pray. It's a combination. I pray that I will give you not just a sermon, but a message. Hey, I got a word for you. I got a message for you. And that until Jesus comes, if we're all together in the next few years, in this benighted section of the world, well, so be it. Do our duty till Jesus comes. You make sure you're either hot or you're cold. And if you find yourself drifting from the Lord, you better take inventory not tomorrow, not this afternoon, right now, right now, and rekindle that fire for the Lord. It's not designed to go out ever. And let's pray that God would bring to America preachers. I mean, real biblical preachers. They won't be liked by many, but that's part of the job description. God help us to have biblical teaching and preaching once again in America and around the world. God help you to make sure you do your part. Once again, never, ever be ashamed of the name or the gospel of Jesus Christ, male or female. Never be ashamed. Let's go before the Lord. Father, you had this design. It's not mine. Preaching is the primary thing in the church. Everything is subsidiary, as Lloyd-Jones mentioned. Everything is subsidiary to that preaching. Help us to appreciate, God, the need for preaching, not only at Time for Truth, but at every professing Christian church in this world, that men and women may be converted to you. Pour out your spirit, God, and help this lost world and a country, America, that's lost. Give us the wisdom to know it will never be changed by politics, politicking. It will never be changed except by you, and that will come in the way designed by you, the preaching Of the word of God. Bring conviction upon people. Bring conviction on people who say they know you. But whose commitment is more like Laodicea. Hot one day, cold the next. Or maybe Ephesus. Everything is right doctrinally. But behavior is not right. Lost the first love. Help us here at Time for Truth, Lord. To appreciate these truths. And to rededicate ourselves to the reading of the word. Not just a part of our day. But the main part of our day. Because in them, as we hear and read. You have the words of eternal life father we bless you and praise you today once again you are great you are greatly to be praised in 1 john chapter 1 we read if we walk in the light as he is in the light then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of jesus christ cleanses us from all sin so father we ask you to bless the time that we have together now downstairs bless the food let it be nourishment to our bodies Bless our time together in fellowship in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen.